0: Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. April is anniversary month at Watchmen on the Wall. All month long, we're celebrating 89 years of ministry with special programs and resources. Today, we open the radio vault and eavesdrop on a conversation between Dr. Kenneth Hill and Noah Hutchings. They're discussing Noah's book, Why So Many Churches. This book answers the questions of why there are so many denominations, sects, and cults, and why church memberships cannot agree on even simple doctrines. Be sure and stay tuned to the end of today's program for a special anniversary month offer. Now, let's listen to Kenneth Hill and Noah Hutchings discuss Why So Many Churches.
1: Brother Hill, it's certainly good to have you with us again to join us in these studies. Well, it's great to be
2: back, Noah, and to be talking to our friends on the Southwest Radio Church Watchmen on the Wall broadcast. And it's good to be with you again and to have the fellowship with brethren of like precious faith.
1: Brother Ken, I would remind everyone that these studies are based on my book, Why So Many Churches. It's a book of over 200 pages. Those who are interested may obtain a copy of this book We're going to begin our study today on the ministry of Peter. In our previous studies on this subject, we explained about the dispensation of God, that so many Christians today do not understand how God works in different ages to fulfill his plan and purpose. And that just because God told Noah to build an ark, that doesn't mean that we should go out and build an ark or God told Moses to go up on Mount Sinai and get the tablets of the law, but he doesn't tell us to do that. What has God said to us? That is really the foundation for the studies that we're doing. On the program today, we want to discuss the ministry of Peter, and that is very important in our understanding of why there are so many churches today. Jesus Christ, at his first appearing in the flesh, came to none as he stated save the house of israel during the three and a half years of his earthly ministry he ministered or preached to the jews he came to proclaim to israel and to reveal himself to the house of david as the promised messiah who would fulfill the covenants that god made to the fathers of israel the apostle paul declared that jesus was a minister to the circumcision are Israel, because Israel is the circumcision. Paul made this statement in Romans 15, if you want to go back and read the 15th chapter of Romans. God has made certain promises to Israel in the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and David. Now, we will not outline these covenants, for they are so many and would be so involved. It would just simply take too long. But we assume that these are common knowledge to any Christian with a minimal knowledge of the Scriptures. Briefly, they encompass Israel as God's chosen people, a holy nation on earth, to become God's witness in the world to all nations. And this is why God called Israel. All covenants point towards an era of peace, plenty, and righteousness on earth, through a kingdom of nations in which Israel would be the head. And this is the millennial kingdom, and if there's not going to be such a kingdom, then we might as well take out about two-thirds of the Old Testament. The kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom from heaven, referred to as the times of refreshing in several scriptures, would be brought in by the Messiah, a son of David, who would reign and rule over Israel in Jerusalem. John the Baptist, in the spirit of Elijah, as mentioned in Malachi, went before Jesus to announce to Israel that the Messiah was coming, and this kingdom by which he would bring heaven to earth was near. We read the mission of John the Baptist in Matthew, the third chapter, verses 1 and 2. In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is is at hand.
2: The beginning of Jesus' ministry to Israel is located in Matthew chapter 4 verse 17 where it says this, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. From that time forward to the cross, Jesus Christ never deviated from this ministry which the Father had committed to him. He taught his disciples to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. And you can find that in Matthew chapter 6 verse 10. He multiplied the loaves and the fishes as a sign to Israel of the blessings awaiting them in the kingdom. He healed the sick as a sign that he was the one who would rise with healing in his wings. He raised the dead to reveal to Israel that he was the resurrection and the life. All these and many other wonderful things he did. But they were given as signs to Israel that he was the Messiah who would bring down the kingdom from heaven to earth. In the 15th chapter of Matthew, it's recorded that a poor Canaanite mother came to Jesus begging him to heal her daughter, who was possessed with the devil. With tears streaming down her face, she cried, Lord, help me. But we read that Jesus answered her not one word. He ignored her. When she continued to cry, he turned to her and said, I am not sent but into the house of the lost sheep of Israel. It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. Of course, because of the mother's faith, Jesus did heal her child, but the Lord first had to make it perfectly clear, not only to this Gentile, but also to the Jewish disciples, that he had come to minister to none but Israel. Even the Olivet Discourse had no application to the church, except that in the refounding of Israel and fulfilling of the many prophecies as they relate to the new nation of Israel. Christians know that the end of the church age is near and are gathering together to meet the Lord in the air is even at the door. It's very important for us to study the Olivet Discourse, just as it is for us to study all of the Gospels. But the Olivet Discourse was not directed to Christians. It concerns the destruction of Jerusalem and the Jewish Temple. It concerns the dispersion of the Jews into all nations of the world for many days. It concerns their regathering into the land and the refounding of Israel as a nation. It concerns the time of Jacob's trouble or Israel's troubles during the Great Tribulation. And it concerns the second appearing of Christ to Israel not as a lowly minister and prophet, but as the glorified Messiah, the King of kings and Lord of lords. It is of the greatest importance to our study to note that in spite of the miracles of Jesus and the many other signs that he gave to Israel during the three and a half years from his baptism to the cross, his ministry to Israel was not completed with the internment of his body in the tomb. Certainly, the evidence that Jesus presented to Israel proved without any doubt that he was the Messiah. But there were other prophecies that the prophets had made allowance for in their writings, and some of these definitely concerned the ministry of Peter. The unfulfilled prophecies concerning the messiahship of Jesus up to the time he was taken to Calvary were, Number one, the sins of the world were to be laid upon him, and he was to be smitten of God for them. You can find that in Isaiah 53, 4. Isaiah 53, 5 says he had to be wounded for the transgressions of the world and to die a violent death. Isaiah 53, 9. He was to be laid in a rich man's tomb. The fourth sign was the sign of Jonah to be given to Israel. The Messiah was to rise from the grave after three days and three nights. You can find that in Isaiah 53, 9 and 10, and Matthew twelve forty. Josephus recognized that the resurrection of Christ from the grave was doubtless the greatest sign given to Israel that Jesus was the Messiah. Quoting this renowned Jewish historian now, he said, And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men amongst us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him. Number five, the Messiah was to be cut off from Israel according to Daniel, and the fact that his first coming would be separated from his second coming by a period of time is listed in innumerable scriptures in Isaiah and other prophetic books. And number six, the Holy Spirit is to be poured out upon the sons and daughters of Israel, according to Joel chapter 2, verse 28, and Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10.
1: Thank you, Ken. Now, these final prophetic proofs that you have mentioned had to be presented to Israel as a sign that Jesus was, in truth, the Messiah. Jesus chose the apostle, most representative of Israel, to present the second offer of the kingdom to Israel. He presented to Peter the keys to the kingdom. Peter, faithful at times and backsliding at other times, courageous and cowardly, boastful yet timid, running hot and cold, was so typical of the national character of Israel. However, when the Holy Spirit fell upon Peter and the rest of the Jewish disciples at Pentecost, this weakness was molded into strength and Peter's nature was overcome by his finer and more stable qualities as he was filled with the Holy Spirit. What happened to Peter at Pentecost is representative of what will happen to all of Israel when Christ returns and we can read that in Joel and many other prophecies. Now that Christ did give Peter the keys to the kingdom is indeed fact. That Peter was recognized as the primal head of the pentecostal church is without question his position in the early assembly of the disciples is clearly set forth in the first few chapters of act but we now arrive at a critical point in our study of this subject quite so many churches what did peter preach what specific mission did jesus christ give to peter Well, We find a
2: clue to what Peter preached and the nature of his mission in Luke chapter 24 verse 47. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. It is unthinkable that Peter would have preached anything else. This message which the apostles and disciples were to preach is the same as that gospel which must be published among all the nations. And you can look at Mark chapter 13 verse 10 to find that. However, When we speak of gospel, we do not necessarily mean the gospel of grace. The New Testament speaks of two gospels, the gospel of grace and the gospel of the kingdom. Gospel in the original Greek text simply means glad tidings or good news. Peter preached the gospel and Paul preached the gospel. Yet this does not necessarily mean that they preached the same message. Peter had glad tidings for Israel and Paul had glad
1: tidings for all the Gentiles. Now the apostles under the leadership of Peter were commanded by Jesus to first preach the gospel in Jerusalem and then to all nations. The meaning here is quite strong and clear. The Gentiles were to be saved through Jewish apostles and disciples as Christ would be preached unto them according to the covenants of Israel. The law would go forth from Jerusalem, the Messiah would be a light to the Gentiles, and all nations would look toward Jerusalem for spiritual leadership. This is one of the entities of the kingdom age, as we read in Zechariah and many other prophecies. But this is the kingdom gospel, the millennium, the gospel that Peter and the apostles and the disciples preached hinged upon the bringing in of the kingdom, and in turn was contingent upon the acceptance by Israel of Christ as the promised Messiah. To Israel, Peter was acting in Christ's stead. He had the keys to the kingdom now. Both Christ and Peter are listed in the scriptures as ministers to the circumcision, or Israel. Both preach the same gospel to Israel. Christ preached, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Peter preached, as recorded in Acts, the third chapter, verses 19 and 20, Repent ye, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing, meaning the millennium, the kingdom of heaven, shall come from the presence of the Lord, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which was preached unto you. Peter preached that if Israel would repent and receive Christ as Lord, God would send him back to bring in the kingdom. Peter's message envisioned a return of Christ upon repentance in Israel to personally blot out their sins as we read in Romans 11th chapter. We're going to continue now into the subject of Pentecost or Pentecostal power. Peter was honored above the other 11 apostles in that Christ chose him to receive the keys of the kingdom as we've already mentioned. Peter is recognized as a spokesman for the 12th and later as a chief pillar of the Jerusalem church. Now, with the Apostle Peter, we're going to continue on to Pentecost. Peter was honored above the other 11 apostles in that Christ chose him to receive the keys of the kingdom, as we've already mentioned. Peter is recognized as the spokesman for the Twelve, and later as the chief pillar of the Jerusalem church. After Pentecost, Peter naturally began to fulfill the mission which God had given him. Peter began to minister to Israel.
2: Inasmuch as the ministries of Peter and Paul were separate, the Gentile church bodies must either claim all of what Peter preached or all of what Paul preached. They should not claim both. Yet all major denominations want to claim part of what Peter preached, but none dare claim all of his gospel. Churches will mix part of what Peter preached with part of what Paul preached, claiming only those doctrinal points which fit their theology. This is why we have had so many doctrines, sects, and denominations since the days of the apostle Paul. If all had strictly followed Peter, there would have been no division. If all had espoused the gospel of Paul, the same would have been true. Let us analyze this gospel of the circumcision which Peter preached. We find Peter's first sermon recorded in the second chapter of Acts, beginning with verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem. Be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whomsoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved.
1: Now, let us think, Brother Ken, to whom did Peter preach this? Who got this message? Well, he preached to the circumcision, of course, as he was commanded to do. He preached to Israel. Did he preach to any Gentile? No, there was not a Gentile among them. He preached only to the men of Judea and those who dwelled at Jerusalem. What did he preach first? He preached at the beginning the message of Joel concerning the pouring out of the Spirit upon the house of Israel at the coming of the Messiah in the notable day of the Lord, when all gentile power and authority would be put down and the kingdom of heaven would be brought in all the prophecies concerning the messiah had to be fulfilled before israel's eyes the pouring out of the spirit at pentecost was one sign that had not been fulfilled at that time so in order for there to be a legal offer to Israel that is the legal offer to Israel that Jesus was indeed the Messiah he had to be cut off he had to be crucified he had to be put in the grave he had to rise he had to send back to the father and the holy spirit had to be poured out upon the house of Israel and what happened at Pentecost was the completion of these signs to Israel before the last legal offer of Jesus Christ as the Messiah to bring in the kingdom would be brought in we read that if Israel had done this, then as Peter preached, the times of refreshing would have been come in, Jesus would have come back, there would have been no church age. There would not have been a reason for the church age, because the Gentiles would have been saved through the ministry of Israel. Of course, we know that that didn't happen, and we're going to continue on this subject on the broadcast tomorrow.
0: Today, we are excited to offer the book, Why So Many Churches by Noah Hutchings, back in print for the first time in years. If you've ever wondered why there are so many denominations, then you'll want to read and study this book. And today, when you order Why So Many Churches, you'll receive a copy of Noah Hutchings' autobiography free. Order Why So Many Churches by calling 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or order online, swrc.com. And remember, when you order Why So Many Churches, you'll receive Noah Hutchings' autobiography, as it is in the days of Noah, for free. 1-800-652-1144. We're just over two weeks away from the Fort Wayne, Indiana, Prophecy Conference, April 22nd and 23rd. This conference will feature Jeff Kinley, Michael Hoggard, Dr. Kenneth Hill, Kamal Saleem, James Collins, Larry Spargimino, Larry Stam, Dr. Douglas Petrovich, and Micah Van Hus. Registration is free, but seating is limited. Visit swrc.com today or simply call 1-800-652-1144 and register for the Fort Wayne, Indiana Prophecy Conference, April 22nd, in 23rd in just a few days it will be time for jews around the world to once again celebrate passover today james collins and larry stamm discuss this major holiday on the jewish calendar
3: more and more christians are taking an interest in the jewish roots of christianity with the passover being only a couple of weeks away we here at the watchman on the wall thought it would be timely and appropriate to visit with our friend, Larry Stamm. Larry is a Jew for Jesus. Now he has a passion to share the Lord Jesus Christ and tell the world that Christianity is Jewish. Larry's brand new book, Jewish Roots of Christianity has been a top seller here at our ministry as well as his new companion DVD. He's here today to teach us about the Passover. Larry, welcome back to the Watchman on the Wall.
4: James, always a blessing to be with you in the audience.
3: Well, most people, Larry, are familiar with the Passover story, but would you take a minute and retell that story?
4: In the book of Exodus, the Jewish people are enslaved by Pharaoh in Egypt, and God hears their cry and sends Moses to tell Pharaoh to let my people go, and Pharaoh keeps telling Moses in no uncertain terms no. Finally, God tells Moses about the tenth plague, the death of the firstborn, and God tells Moses and the Israelites, take an unblemished lamb and slaughter it and put the blood on the doorpost of their home. So when the angel of death comes and sees that you're covered by the blood, the angel of death would pass over. And so that's where we get the name Passover. And then after the tenth plague descends and all the firstborn in Egypt are killed, Pharaoh relents and lets the people go, Mm. and then you have the Exodus story, the mixed multitudes leave Egypt. So that's basically where you have the Passover story. In Exodus 12, we find in the Bible where God institutes the Passover, and the foundations of the Passover meal includes the lamb, the unleavened bread, and the bitter herbs. So that's the basic story of Passover.
3: Well, you alluded to my next question. The Passover is celebrated each year with a meal called a Seder. Would you explain that meal?
4: Seder is a Hebrew word meaning order, James, because the Passover celebration follows a specific order of service. And today, around the world, Passover is celebrated in a variety of ways. Traditional celebrations will include the use of the Haggadah, which is the book that provides directions on the observance. Informal celebrations might include something as simple as a prayer, a meal, and fellowship, along with remembering the event in a casual manner. Now, growing up, I grew up in a Reformed Jewish household, and sometimes we would go to the synagogue and experience a traditional Seder meal, which could take three-plus hours at home. We'd simply say a prayer. We'd enjoy a meal together. Everything would be kosher, of course, unleavened bread, matzah. Usually we would have a roasted chicken or a roast brisket along with other aspects of the meal.
3: Larry, why is an empty chair left for Elijah during the Passover observance? That's
4: a great question, James. It's recorded by the Hebrew prophet Malachi that before Messiah comes, he will be preceded by the return of Eliyahu Hanabi. That's Hebrew for Elijah the prophet. And so each year a child's going to go to the door and open it wide, hoping that the prophet will accept the invitation enter the home, and announce the coming of the Messiah. But James, I've got good news for us and our listeners today. I know that Elijah has returned. For yes. when Jesus spoke of the prophet John, if your listeners remember, he said of him, if you care to accept it, he himself is Elijah who has come. Yes, the prophet of the forerunner of the Messiah has come, and so has the Messiah himself, Jesus, the Savior of both Jew and Gentile.
3: What exactly do you eat at the Passover meal? What items are on the Seder plate?
4: It's traditional in Jewish homes not to eat lamb because the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. So no altar, no lambs, but for a Messianic Jewish person like me, for Christians around the world as we celebrate and celebrate a Seder meal, it's totally appropriate to eat lamb. Growing up, I never had lamb at the synagogue or at home. But the ceremonial items on the plate are all pictures of redemption, and we think of redemption as Christians, as the blood of Christ redeeming us out of bondage to sin. In the Old Testament, redemption is thought of often in Jewish circles as a physical deliverance out of bondage in Egypt. Now, there's a number of items on the table, including matzah unleavened bread. Remember, the Israelites ate unleavened bread, were instructed to eat it at Passover because in their haste to leave Egypt, they had to take their bread with them while it was still flat. There's another item called carpus or greens, usually parsley or lettuce, and that represents life. But it's dipped into salt water, which represents the tears of life and reminds us as Jewish people that a life without redemption is a life immersed in tears. You have another item called the chazeret, which is the root of the bitter herb, usually a horseradish root or an onion. Again, representing the bitterness of life. Horseradish itself is called maror in Hebrew. That also represents the bitterness of life. James, there's a really fascinating food called haroseth. And the haroseth is a sweet mixture made of chopped apples, raisins, honey, and nuts. It represents the mortar our ancestors used when they had to make bricks for Pharaoh. There's another item called the hagigah, a roasted egg which is a token of grief, grief over the destruction of the second temple. And finally, we have the zroah, which is the shank bone of the lamb. Remember, it represents the lambs that used to be eaten at Passover. But again, since the temple was destroyed traditionally in Jewish homes around the world and in synagogues, we don't eat or serve roasted lambs. So those are the basic items.
3: The Last Supper of the Lord Jesus Christ was, in fact, a Passover meal, wasn't it?
4: Absolutely. In fact, your listeners probably remember that Jesus instituted communion during the Last Supper at that very unique Seder meal. Remember in Matthew 26, he raises the third cup, the cup of redemption, and he declared, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. So Jesus instituted communion at that Passover meal at the Last Supper
3: we currently have available the messianic passover haggadah booklets available if you would like to order those booklets you can call right now 1-800-652-1144 that's 1-800-652-1144 or order online at swrc.com brother larry i hope that you and your family have a blessed passover thanks for your time
4: thanks so much james god bless you and your wonderful audience
0: Order Why So Many Churches by Noah Hutchings by calling 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or order online swrc.com. And remember, when you order Why So Many Churches, you'll receive Noah Hutchings' autobiography, as it is in the days of Noah, for free. 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Tomorrow, Pastor Larry looks at Divine Vengeance, and we continue to celebrate Anniversary Month with another look inside the radio vault. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and has been supported for 89 years by faithful listeners like you. Visit SWRC.com That's SWRC.com